All right, guys, so this morning we are getting back into our message that we started a few weeks back. This is part four, and um, so I think uh, we may have had part three on the Facebook game, we'll have to change that uh, here later on. Um, I need to make sure that's corrected, I don't know. But anyway, guys, so open your Bibles up, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter in chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be back in verse 1, and um, so we may, I think we, we probably will not finish verse 1 today. As I mentioned on the onset, guys, this is going to be a rather uh, lengthy um, message, if you will, a rather lengthy um, series, and so, just making sure, all right. So 2 Peter in chapter 2 and in verse 1, if you'll turn there with me today, and uh, if you're willing and able to, we ask you to stand as we honor the reading of the, of the Word of God. Just one verse with us this morning. The Bible tells us here, 2 Peter chapter 1, says, But there were false prophets also among you, um, sorry, among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even that I am the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here today. We ask of you, Lord, this morning that if you will, uh, bless the words to our ears, dear God. I pray that we would uh, speak circumspectly, if you will, that we would take on the Word of God in our hearts and our minds today, and that, Lord, that we would continue to follow you. Lord, let this Word speak to us, Lord, despite whatever preconceived notions we may have, despite what traditions we may be held in, uh, Lord, I pray today that you would open up the door of understanding, clarity of thought and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. So we're going to continue this series, guys, titled Apostates Among Us. And what we started looking at last week, we looked at the, uh, the first portion of what uh, is referred to by here by the Apostle Peter, that they shall privily, uh, shall bring in damnable heresies, damnable heresies. And uh, we're going to get into that here a little bit. Now, the Bible tells us that they privily shall bring in. And uh, Jude tells us that they, they crept in unawares. And so Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2, they go, they go together one with another. They tie in beautifully uh, one with another. And we need to understand that today as, um, as we cl- quickly will understand uh, what the Word of God is teaching us and where we're going from with these damnable heresies. But here's one thing that I want us to touch on just for a brief second this morning. Um, some of you may say, you know, why should we know the difference? Why, why in the world, why should we uh, shout or be able to warn people of damnable heresies? Um, you know, there's apostates among us, those that, uh, as we discussed last week, uh, an infant baptism, um, that's a damnable heresy. There is nothing biblical about it. There's nothing righteous about it. There's nothing godly about it. It is a damnable heresy because it teaches uh, clearly a false sense of hope, a false sense of security. And that is a a terrible, terrible thing uh, to teach a people, if you will. So I say that, guys, to make that point rather clear, if you will. Um, Again, today we're going to look at baptismal regeneration. Then we're going to go into... Uh, predestination for salvation as well as good works those three things will be our you know really the final three that we're going to kind of hit we're hitting those things because every false religion in the world today whether they call themselves christians or not fall within those categories all right and yes we are talking about 
uh, mostly those that are pseudo-Christianities, those that call themselves Christians, yet they bring in secretly these damnable heresies. And why I'm emphasizing that point here to you this morning is to the fact that um, Peter is clear about it. He says, among you. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the child of God. He's saying, you're going to have false teachers among you. Well, guys, here's the bottom line. Buddhism is a false religion. It's a pagan religion, but they're not among us. They're not within our folds, you understand. The same thing with Islam, pagan religion created by a man, uh, you know, uh, has no, anti-biblical, it's satanic, uh, uh, satanic in its ideology, or its uh, ideology, but they're not among us within the fold, you understand? They're not a false teacher within here. They're not calling themselves Christians. As a matter of fact, they're very clear that they're anti-Christians, you understand? So that's not what we're, that, that's what we got to be very clear. You could spend a month of Sundays, if you wanted to, going over all the false beliefs and false religions and, and all of the paganism and atheism and and Gnosticism and all of that, you could do all that, but we're not doing that. We're getting, we're getting real close to the cuff. We're getting real close to traditions. We're, we're coming in and we're taking the Word of God and we're teaching something that is right down the barrel to make us and allow us to understand clearly that the false teachers are going to be among us and they're going to call themselves Christians. They're going to hold up the Bible. They're going to praise Jesus. They're going to even say that salvation is through Jesus Christ, but they're going to add things to it or they're going to take things away. So I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, we, all, we know all sin falls under three categories. We understand that. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail on a lot of those things this morning. But we know they do. We know Genesis chapter 3. We know that Eve looked at the, the, the fruit. She saw it was good for food, able to make one wise, you know, good for the belly. She saw that according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, that, you know, that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All three, all sins fall under three categories. However, there are all kinds of sins in our life, isn't there? There are temperamental sins. There are moral sins. There's social sins. But the greatest of these sins, I want us to understand, guys, the greatest of them is really and truly going to fall under what we call the sin of omission, the sin of omission. James chapter 4, verse 17. Now, guys, I want you to take notes. I want you to write these down. I have taken the liberty to put these on the screen for you, really just for ease and convenience, and I don't know if that's the best thing to do anyway. But nonetheless, James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second today. We, you know, I get kicked back and I'll continue to get kicked back. Why do you think, why do you think it's so necessary to expose these damnable heresies? My goodness, an entire chapter and another whole book was written about them. That's a good enough reason for me right there. Why should we have the knowledge to be able to expose those, reveal, bring to manifest, if you will, the lies that people are being told and they're hooked into, they're deceived to be hooked into? Guys, you know the truth, and you may sit here today, and you may say, well, I'm going to heaven, I know that I am, and I talked to uh, you know, Jane Smith over here, and that person's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they believe whatever, but they're a nice person, they're moral, they're sound, and they sound like they love God, and they know God, and they didn't profess to be a Christian, but they sound like they do, they, they're just doing a good job, so I didn't say anything at all. Why shouldn't we? I'm not telling you to go out and start fights, and kick things off, and stir the pot up, but I am telling you this, if you know to do the right thing, and you choose not to do it, you're in the midst of sin. You say, how do I know that? Well, the sin of omission, 
The sin of omission is probably one of the worst sins that we have as Christians today. Think about this for just a second. Read this. Write it down in your notes, margin of your Bible, Matthew 21, verses 19 through 20. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Now let me ask you a question, guys. What did that fig tree do wrong? Did it produce a poisonous fruit? Did it produce a weapon that would harm or kill someone? No. It just did nothing. It did nothing. It didn't produce a poisonous fruit. It didn't produce a vile thorn. It just didn't produce any fruit at all. And God cursed it. Matthew 25 is another great example. Matthew 25, verses 24 through 25. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not straw. Verse 25. And I was afraid, and I went and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there hast that is thine. Now, the Lord judged that, that slothful servant, didn't he? We know that he did. He judged him, not because he stole the talent, okay? The, 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 that slothful servant didn't say, oh, wow, I got a talent. Let me run off with it and hide. And let me use it for my own. Let me go buy some sweets. He didn't do that. He just did nothing with it. We've been given a gift. We've been given a gift of eternal life. We are saved, sealed in the day of redemption. Can you imagine having this greatest gift today and doing nothing with it? You think we're going to be held not accountable for that? You think we're not going to be held accountable? For taking the talent, sticking it in the ground, saying, oh, here you go. This is the gift. I got the talent. It's right here. I'm saved, but, you know, nobody else is anything, but I've done it. Fruit was just, exi- the tree was just existent. Fig tree. It just didn't do anything, so God cursed it. Slothful servant, we know the, that story. Cast him out into outer darkness. What about the thief that fell among thorn- um, thorns? The thief that fell amongst, uh, I'm sorry, the man of J- uh, Jerusalem who fell amongst thieves. Remember him? He leaves, goes down to Jericho, a place where he didn't belong. And he fell amongst thieves, the Bible tells us. It's a story of Good Samaritan, we say. But in Luke chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. I remember when you guys were kids, when our kids, children were were young i remember us doing this as a uh, uh not a theater or anything but i remember us having a bible study in the downstairs uh if you remember that in our downstairs finished basement and uh and, and and we went through and i had one of the boys play like they were the uh the guy that fell amongst thieves and then i i did exactly what the priest did he came by and he looked on him and he walked on the levite and then he came by crossed on the other side what did those guys do neither the levite nor the priest robbed that man did they they didn't do any harm to him. They didn't steal anything from him. But they did nothing to help him. You understand that? Are you seeing now the nature of what the sin of omission actually and how vile it is? The sin of, the sin of omission really and truly is the worst of all. 
It's the worst of all. We say, well, we just want to get along with everyone. I'm not saying try not to get along. The Bible tells us as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. You don't have to be liked, but you have to be honest. You have to be truthful. You have to, with love and compassion, tell people the truth of the Word of God and get them out of the bondage of tradition. Imagine having a friend today, guys. He's your buddy, he, she's your friend, or whatever it may be. And here you are, you got that talent, you got that truth, you're that nice strong tree, you're fluttering in the wind, you got the leaves, you got all this and that, but you never want to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. I mean, what kind of friend is that? The greatest gift ever given, and you do nothing with it. You know what Dante said? Dante said that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a period of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. We live in a world today that wants to be passive. We live in a world today that wants to stand neutral. I don't want to choose a side. I just want to stand here. That's not reality. For me to commit the sin of omission and allow, without warning, countless souls to adhere to damnable heresies such as infant baptism, such as predestination to salvation, baptismal regeneration, good works for salvation. For me to just allow that person to continue on would be no different than me standing here knowing a bridge is washed out and just waving the cars on, going, hey, speed up, man, get it in the next gear. Sin of omission is terrible. I want to give you a verse here from the book of Judges. I want you to see this. In the book of Judges, Judges chapter 5 it is, Verse 23, Cursed, Curse ye morose, saith the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly inhabitants thereof, because they came not to help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. What was the wickedness of morose? What was God cursing them for? Why did God put a curse on morose? Because Morose tried to remain neutral in a time of moral crisis. Morose tried to stay neutral when all the other tribes were going to the battle. All the other tribes were fighting. All the other tribes stood and were brave. And yet Morose says, you know what? We're just going to kick back and we're going to do nothing at all. And God cursed them. I tell you, why don't you look in, uh, well, here's another, um, Judges 5.18. No, notice the co contrast that the Lord uses against Morose. He says, Zebulon and Ephtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto, unto the death in the high places of the field. You know what he's saying? They laid their necks on the line, but not you, Morose. You stayed over there, and you want to remain neutral. These tribes here, they risked their life. They jeoparded their life. They put their life out there so for the protection of their people. But Morose says, you know what? I'm going to be neutral. It cannot happen, guys. Sir Edmund Burke said, uh, uh, and I don't think I have it on there, but Sir Edmund Burke said, um, all that is necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. To do nothing. You understand here what I'm trying to drive home. This is a long introduction to get into these last three damnable heresies that we're going to discuss in this series. But I want us to understand the, ser the seriousness today, the absolute seriousness of having the truth and doing nothing with it. This is what the Lord's speaking about in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. He says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. 
Because there's many people in this world today who they love to watch other people fight battles. I, I, I didn't, I was going to, and I wanted to do a, a bit of research of how many fighting videos or how many videos are watched online in a given day. I know the number is astronomical, but I wanted, a, uh, I wanted an, an exact number. I did not get that. But it would be amazing to see how people today, how much they enjoy watching the battle, watching the labor, watching people do work, and yet they sit back and do nothing. Guys, if you can't take a stand, if you cannot choose a side, if you don't stand up in a time of moral crisis, I'm going to tell you right now, the curse of God will be upon you. It will be upon you. I was reading um, in 19, it was ni- early 1980s, Dr. Adrian Rogers told the left-leaning Southern Baptist Convention, they were leaning toward the left, way toward the left, and, and, and Adrian Rogers told a group of pastors, he says, no man has a right to be at peace when his brothers are at war, not until the war is over. And guys, I've told you guys this for years and really been emphasizing it over the last couple of months. We are at war. We are at a spiritual war today. And if you think that you're going to go through this life as a child of God and remain neutral, it's not going to happen. The curse of God will fall upon you. If you think you can just skip through the tulips and, and walk through the roses and, hey, everything's going to be fine and I just won't get into that battle and I won't take a stand against infant baptism and I won't take a stand against perverts in the robe and I won't take a stand against the nine-minute sermonettes and I won't take a stand against baptismal regeneration. Oh, I won't take a stand against predestination, Calvinism, Augustinism, which has reared its ugly head in the past 15 years, has had an exponential growth like you cannot imagine. And a multitude, and many of us, children of God, faith-born, born again, Again, believers in Christ are sitting back and letting it happen. And our children are becoming prey. Our children are becoming prey. I want to give you two more portions here. I want you to see this. And the reason I'm going to bring this in, I want you to turn, get your Bibles out, turn to Numbers. I didn't put this on the screen, so, so not to do the work for you. The reason I want to bring this in is because this verse, part of this verse is used um, Quite often, it's usually, when I was a child, I heard this verse all the time, mainly because I was into mischief as a child, and um, my parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents probably didn't know what I was going to be doing next, or really what I already had done, and so they would throw this, this verse out at me constantly. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Now, fair play, it was a practical application, good for them to use that, not doctrin- doctrinally applicable, and we'll look at it now. Numbers 32, verse 23, the Bible says, But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. Now watch the last part. This is what you've heard. And be sure your sin will find you out. We use that verse all the time. People use it all the time. And a lot, most of the time, we, we use it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a different way that's intended. What is the sin being referred to here? And I've heard this verse, again, used to scare people about sins. And, uh, but this is a specific sin that God is speaking about here. And, and it's, it's talking about going into the promised land. The Jews are coming out of Egypt. And, and there were two tribes when they got to, the, got to the River Jordan, Reuben and Gad, who wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan River because they were cattlemen, they were herdmen, and the grass was lush. And they said, we want to stay here. Go back in the chapter, verse 1, and notice this with me. Verse 1, in Numbers chapter 32, says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place, uh, the place was a place for cattle. 
The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and the Eleazar the priest, and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Edaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and uh, Eliah and Shebam and Nebo and Beon. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle that thy servants and thy servants have cattle. So here's what happens. I'm not going to, we're not going to go over the whole chapter. But the two tribes come before Moses. They come before Eleazar the priest. And they start pitching this spiel. They start pitching their, what they wanted to do. They say, look, I understand that's the promised land. I understand God commanded us to go on the other side of the River Jordan. I understand that. And keep in mind, the River Jordan, when we stop and we think about the River Jordan, we think about the little portion of the river, possibly, that we've seen when we visited Israel. Remember, it's a large body of water. Numerous individuals are there being baptized in the days of Jesus Christ. But portions of the River Jordan was a massive river, all right? Not something easily, easily uh, traversed upon. Because remember, when they did go, when Israel did cross over there, what happened? Just like the Red Sea, God made the water stand on itself. Remember that? Okay. And then they walked upon dry ground. The Ark of the Covenant led the way. So it's, it's not like it's an easy thing for them to pass. But these two tribes are going, look, we want to stay over here because the grass is lush. We want to do that. So Moses goes ahead and he listens. He goes, okay, listen, here's the deal. Moses goes on to say, if you want to stay over there, that's fine. But if your brethren go to war and you come not to the battle, if you choose not to cross that river, no matter how difficult it may be, there are going to be consequences. The two tribes are going to say that they would build the sheepfolds, build the cattle, uh, cattle gates, sorry, they would, uh, uh, they would build houses for the little ones, uh, but they would go over to the River Jordan and they would not come back to this east side until every one of the other tribes had got their inheritance, okay? Fair play. Sounds like a good deal. Moses says, all right, sounds good. But I just want to reiterate my point, he says. Look at Numbers chapter 32, verse 20. And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of your arms over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But, here's the warning, if ye will not do so, behold, Ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. My friend, what is Moses referring to there? The sin of omission. That's the sin of omission. And he's telling you and I today, listen, if you don't go to battle with me, you're either with me or you're against me. I don't care what decision you made. I don't care how many times you were baptized. I don't care how many grandpappies you have as a pastor. If you choose not to go to war and stand against these damnable heresies in this world today, you've sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. If you don't come and help, be sure your sin will find you out. If you don't come and fight this battle, be sure your sin will find you out. If you just try to stand and remain neutral, be sure your sin will find you out. If you fail to tell the truth, which is the gospel and the rebuke of these vile apostates in this world today who've been given millions of people a false sense of hope, he says, you sinned against the Lord and be sure your sins will find you out. So now you know a little bit about why 
I'm so passionate over exactly what we're talking about this morning. So verse 1 in 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us very clearly, it says, denying the Lord that bought them. We spoke about infant baptism, the damnable heresy of infant baptism last week. We made it very clear. As a matter of fact, we even read verbatim some of the words that are used, the teachings and the doctrines that are used in the vile, paganistic, christening infant baptism service. And I am calling it like it is. It is a vile entity. And if you do nothing about it, if you don't stand against it, be sure your sin will find you out. You've sinned against the Lord. Amen? So we talked about infant baptism. Today I want to get into baptismal regeneration quickly this morning. Another damnable heresy. Now, what is the uh, baptism? What is the doctrine of baptismal regeneration? Uh, you know, which is the same thing that's believed in infant baptism. Even to go on and say that, well, that infant has sinned, and now that they're going to be baptized in the mystical water, they're going to be cleansed of their sin. You know, ludus, it's, common sense has flown out the window. It's like a scene from one flew over the, the cuckoo's nest to actually read what these perverts say during that service. It's mind-boggling to me. It, not one drop of it adds up with Scripture. And the same principle with baptism regeneration. Same one. Now, just like with infant baptism, you know that mystical washing away of the sins, which is paganistic, of an infant. Um, you know, the only thing a baby wants to do is eat, sleep, and, and soil their nappy. That's all they want to do, Okay. Baptismal regeneration, guys, is a, is a false doctrine because baptism is a result of salvation. The teaching of baptismal regeneration comes from the perversion of simple verses in Acts chapter 2. They'll be on the screen, Acts chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, Acts chapter uh, 2, but we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 real quick with us today, okay? In Acts chapter 8, we know it very clearly. This is one of the reasons verse 37 is removed from your modern versions because Satan is behind them. Verse 36 says, And as they went on their way, this is the Ethiopian eunuch. We've read about this several times this week. Uh, As they went on their way, there came a certain water. And the eunuch said, watch this, See here is water. Watch this next words. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? Now this is a grown man, all right, not an infant. This is a man with cognitive abilities. This is a man high in the authority of Candice the Queen. He's in charge of all of her treasure. He is an intelligent man. He is an educated man. He is a powerful man. And yet he asks, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Most men of power say, I want to be baptized. Do it now. We know of a certain individual who whined and moaned and cried and, and pouted because uh, his parents' church wouldn't baptize him for one reason. Right? Baptism is meant for a believer, not an unbeliever. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you're saved. Simple cut and dry, is it not? Well, look at verse 37 there on the screen. And Philip said, if, there's the conditional clause, if thou believest, done, with all thine heart, right? What is Romans chapter 10? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not baptized, but saved. So he just says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water with Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptismal regeneration, to believe that doctrine, is a heresy from the very beginning. It is a damnable heresy. The majority of the people take it out of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That's where Alexander Campbell took it when he... Uh, erroneously walked out of a Baptist church 
and uh, started uh, his own cult known as uh, the Campbellites, later on known as the Church of Christ. And he took this one verse here in Acts chapter 2, uh, and it's saying, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he interprets the word for as a clause, and it's not. It is a result of. In other words, we use the sayings, he laughed for joy. A person did not laugh to be joyous, they laughed because they were joyful. He stole for hunger. He didn't steal to be hungry, he stole because he was hungry. They were baptized because they were saved. Their sins have been forgiven. That's what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a perversion of scriptures in, it, in the nth degree. Baptismal regeneration, be it an infant or adult or anybody at all, is a damnable heresy, and we must stand against it. Good works is another one. I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm a good person. I, I don't steal from anyone. Hey, you know what? I'm not Hitler. I'm not Stalin. I'm not Lenin. You know, uh, I'm not uh, Castro. I'm not these guys that are murderers and, and communists and thieves and, and wicked people. I, I'm not like them at all, you know. I'm not like them, so I should go to heaven, right? No. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, you know, obliterates this idea of good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Guys, we are not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. We are saved to do good works. It's very, 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 very clear, and it's very difficult to uh, mix up if you are a Bible believer today. I'm saying that to make this point. Once you are saved, okay, you're judged according to your works. Your inheritance on the other side is based on what you do down here. You say, well, I got saved. I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I heard the greatest analogy as a young Christian. I mean, when I say young spiritually, the preacher said that the doctrine of inheritance is likened unto being maybe a, a football player. And when you get up there to the New Jerusalem, when you get up there, you're in the Millennial Kingdom. Your position in the Millennial Kingdom is based upon the works that you do down here, not your salvation. Your salvation gets you there, period. You're saved, you're born again. You never can lose that. But you can lose your inheritance. And he equated it to being a ball player, and everybody else is in the game, and you're standing on the sideline having to watch. You need to think about that. I'm, I'm considering teaching a lesson on a Wednesday on the doctrine of inheritance. I was talking to a dear friend of mine in the States over it. Uh, he called me for several questions last week, and he's teaching on it in his Sunday school class for the adults. But I'm, I'm, I want to make that point to you today, guys. You're not saved by good works. That's a damn old heresy. All false religions are based on good works. All pseudo-Christianity, such as the Catholic Church, the uh, Church of England, Church of Wales, Church of God, they're all based on good works, okay? Not grace, not mercy, a good work. Otherwise, they wouldn't, they wouldn't try to baptize an infant when he's X amount of days or months old. It's a damnable heresy, guys. So you have to keep in mind a damnable heresy is a dissension taught in the name of God, and, and it will lead and lock a soul into everlasting torment. You need to understand that, guys. We need to understand that we have to draw the line in the sand. We have to take a stand. We have to avoid committing the sin of omission because it is a damnable heresy and we are at war. And if we go not to battle, we sinned against the Lord and our sin will find us out. So lastly this morning, I want to go into 
the final damnable heresy that we're necessarily going to speak about in this study. Now, we're going to, guys, we're just into verse 1. And that is predestination unto salvation. I want us to think about this topic with common sense at the onset. I want us to think about it with common sense and biblical fact, okay? If one person is chosen, predestinated, if you will, no matter what that man or woman does in their life, they are going to be saved point blank. If that doctrine is true, that they are predestined to be saved and born again, that means, because we know, as Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, all right, you will likewise perish, unless you be born again, okay, you'll perish, we know that a group goes to hell. We know there's a load of people who are not written in the Lamb's book of life and who have a part in the second death. You cannot have one group predestined to heaven without having another one predestined to hell. So the ABCs of common sense, the ABCs of biblical fact, concerning this damnable heresy of predestination, if you believe in predestination of salvation, you believe in a damnable heresy, a diabolical damnable heresy written by the devil himself. Let's make that clear. By the means of simple deduction, and I'm going to call it the ABCs today by way of introduction to this point. We're almost finished with the lesson, so don't, don't go to sleep on me yet. Number one, if you believe this doctrine today, you are arrogant. You're arrogant. Look in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians real quick with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you believe in Calvinism, Augustinism, or predestination unto salvation... You, my friend, are arrogant. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Okay? Now, we can go over the doctrine and go over the context of the Scripture at a later date if you want to, but if you're here this morning or if you're listening this morning and you think that you were predestined over another person to go to heaven and you can't have it either way, you can't say, I'm predestined, but I'm not predestined over another person, that's a lie because if you're predestined and we know people go to hell, then therefore you believe that you're predestined above and beyond this particular person over there. So you're an arrogant soul. Number two, you're a boastful character. You're a boastful soul. Look in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, the topic and the context of Romans chapter 11 is dealing with the nation of Israel. It's dealing with Israel in contrast to the church. And it's making sure, Paul is making sure that the Gentile church does not boast itself against the nation of Israel. It is showing the validity of the covenant that God had with the Hebrews is still intact today. And we as Gentiles in the church have not replaced Israel. We have not replaced their inheritance. We have not replaced the covenant. That is a, another damnable heresy that we won't go into, but nonetheless. So we, we need to not be boastful, he says. Don't boast yourself against uh, the, the branch. Romans chapter 11, verse 20. Romans chapter 11, in verse 20, it says, well, because of unbelief, they, that's speaking of Israel, were broken off, and thou standest by faith. He goes next and says, be not high-minded, but fear. And he goes on to say there in verse 21, for God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. So if you today believe that you're predestined to heaven, 
you not only are arrogant, but you're boastful. And there's several places. Matter of fact, high-mindedness is linked into those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're high-minded today, boastful and arrogant, you're losing inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, that'll mess up your, your, your afternoon tea, now won't it? Yeah. The ABCs of, of common sense against predestination. The ABCs of biblical fact concerning predestination. Number one, you're arrogant if you believe it. Number two, you're boastful if you believe it. Number three, the entire doctrine in and of itself is contradictory of itself. Contradictory. Look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25. So again, we go back to the idea. Now guys, uh, we'll, we'll touch on, uh, you know, whosoever, we haven't even got into the, you know, the, the ultimate common sense factor, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My goodness, that right there eliminates any type of predestination altogether. Whosoever. I, I used this illustration yesterday, I think, in Q&A Bible study, but if I put a sign out here uh, on, the, on the pavement uh, in our door, and I open our door, and I said, whosoever wants to come in, come in, I can't go out there and go, nope, I don't like your hair, you can't come in. I said, whosoever, that means anyone, Okay. So, contradictory of itself. There's this part C of the ABCs. Look there at Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. Watch what it says here. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me. We understand this is the judgment of the nations, but nonetheless. Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire. Watch this. What about this everlasting fire? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so if we say predestined before the foundation of the world to be saved over here, well, the devil is a created being. Therefore, it, uh, we, before we were created, we were predestined to go to heaven before the devil was, but we know lost souls ended up going to hell, but hell itself, everlasting fire, was created for the devil and his angels. Wow. What does that mean? That means there was no everlasting fire, there was no hell, until Satan fell from heaven. Make sense? Yeah, because it was prepared for the devil and his angels. So the whole doctrine of predestination of salvation, since one is predestined to heaven, the other one would have to be predestined to hell, is contradictory of itself. It lacks common sense. And I've, what I have found that Calvinists pride themselves in being educated in this and that. They're not. They're, they're willingly ignorant of the word of God. They are morally inept to think that God himself is a sadist, that he would choose someone to go to hell. Your sins put you there in the rejection of, of Jesus Christ, guys. So, predestination. The Bible, this is where they, they want to hang their hat. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Guys, this word predestination in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, mark it down in your Bible, has zero to do with God predestinating someone to go to heaven and others going to hell. No way, no how. It has nothing to do with that topic. Christ died for the sin of the world, the Bible tells us, 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So in Calvinism, you either the whole world's either predestined to go to heaven or no one's predestined to go to heaven. That's the only way their doctrine could work. Here's the clincher. Romans chapter 8, 29 that we just mentioned isn't even about salvation. That verse is not about salvation, okay? So what is he speaking of concerning predestination? Again, it's not a reference of someone getting saved. Read the verse one more time. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated. What's the next? to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the predestination. The foreknowledge is God's omniscience. He knows who will be saved. 
But God's foreknowledge has absolutely nothing to do with causing someone to be saved. Just because he knows it does not mean he causes it to happen. Do you understand that this morning? The predestination is to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what it is. I mean, it's that simple today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body? according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things on himself. That's the predestination. We as believers in Christ are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. It is that simple. Anything outside of that is the working of Satan. Working of Satan. Mark 7, verses 9 and 13 says, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Verse 13 says, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered which ye have delivered and many such things you do or do ye why am i why is that so important guys you you know as well as i know that the most powerful tool that we've ever been given is the only offensive weapon god has, has equipped us with and as the sword of the spirit the word of god but even through even through even though the Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, the traditions of mankind, Jesus Christ says, can make this Word of none effect. Mankind, because of their pride and their arrogance and their boastfulness, will contradict the Scriptures and all together to hold to their tradition. Well, this is what we've always believed. Whether they be a Presbyterian, they believe in Calvinism. Right, Church of England, Church of Wales. Well, we believe in infant baptism. This is what our our forefathers, the thirty nine articles of faith, which I'm convinced I would highly doubt half of those are even understood in our area. Why am I making that point? People will take what they're comfortable with, that little snuggie, that little uh, blanket, and they'll hold to that thing, even though the Word of God is ripping it to shreds. Even though the Word of God is saying, that's not right, man. Not one time in here do you find infant baptism. Not one. They erroneously use where Jesus Christ said, suffer a little children to come unto me. Got nothing to do with baptism, nor salvation for that matter. Perverts in the Scripture, corrupting the Scripture, walking around in their flowy little robes, which has its origin all the way back to Constantine when they had a marriage between the state, paganism, and pseudo-Christianity. We'll give you these nice flowing robes. You'll sit in the highest of the asp and the basilicas. Just come, but you're going to have to obey our scripture, our doctrine. Baptismal regeneration to their tradition. Nope, we're going we're gonna to interpret the word for in Acts 2.38 the way we want to. Nope, I want to hear the truth. Good works. You say by grace, through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. It's very clear. The word of God becomes a non-effect because they hold to the damnable heresies of their traditions. Predestination. Well, Brother BJ, you don't understand what you're talking about because you know that's not what it's saying. They're not choosing people to go to hell. You can't have it both ways. Your predestination unto the adoption your predestination unto the, com, um, uh, the conformity, 
of the Son of God, to be conformed like unto the Son of God. That predestination, both of those, is only applicable. Status post salvation. And anything else taught is a damnable heresy by the apostates among us today. They masquerade as Christian leaders, wearing the long flowing robes, all the while denying the Lord Jesus Christ who bought them. By doctrine, they hold to man-made doctrines, falsely calling them Christian, yet Jesus Christ told the religious of his day, and of which by proxy he tells us today that you're holding to these false beliefs. I have been asked before, well, since we know it only to be a tradition, what is the harm in partaking? It's a damnable heresy. It's a damnable heresy, one of which you will be held accountable for, just like the apostates who teach it and perform it are guilty by association. You are guilty at aiding and abetting high treason against grace. And I'll say it like I said it about Morose. I'll say it like we said about the two tribes. As Moses said, he says, but if you come not, you've sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Tradition has care. You know, you say, well, preacher, I'm just going to partake in it because it's a family thing. I'm just going to do this because my family likes that. What you're doing is you're, you're enabling your family and countless souls afterwards to continue down a vile tradition, which is a damnable heresy brought in by false teachers, just like false prophets did in the Old Testament. There are apostates among us. Let me bow your heads. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together this morning. I thank you, Lord, for this Wednesday service. We pray that you take your holy word, write it upon our hearts, dear God. And I pray those out there today who, for whatever reason, Lord God, maybe continue to hold to those traditions, who may try to refute this holy scripture, I ask of you to allow the Holy Spirit to convict them, to see the error of their ways, and to repent, no matter the cost that they be not found sinning against the Lord, that they be not found committing the sin of omission, but, dear God, would commit to stand and commit to the faithfulness of the Word of God, taking a stand in the midst of this war against the apostates among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.